Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. Chris, I imagine that you are pretty good at probably whatever you set your mind to. I have discovered there's a few things that, uh, that well, I need someone to step in on my behalf. I mean, I, I think of I think of my wife. I'm so glad I got married because I need help picking out clothes and anything to do with numbers. I, that's why I married an accountant. I need help when it comes to those kind of things. Well, we're not talking about those kind of things. We're talking about life in general. <clears throat> we're all lousy at life. I mean, we there's mistakes, sins in our lives that we cannot fix. But thankfully, Jesus has stepped in to take care of us, take care of that for us. And that is what we're talking about in this session. This is we're toward the end of this unit where we're talking about my encounter with Christ. And we've looked at the examples of individuals who in John's Gospels who had uh, who encountered Jesus and it was a life changing experience. This week, we take a little bit of a different approach. Um, we, we will see two individuals that uh, were there. Uh, after Jesus' crucifixion, um, but uh, we, we're talking about uh, Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, that G- the the title is Jesus died for me, uh, guys. We're we're just uh, uh, we're close to Easter, and it seems timely to me that we are uh, taking a week before Easter to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and His death on the cross and the significance in our lives. So my hope is that. Uh, in our groups, that this will become a very personal conversation uh, for people to talk about uh, their salvation. Certainly. And joining Chris and I for this conversation is Dr. Argel Smith. Uh, Argel, thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We've invited uh, Dr. Smith to be with the podcast because he helped write some of the, well, he wrote the shared commentary for this particular study. This is the commentary that appears at all the leader guides. Uh, Argel, his background is that he is a pastor at Parkway Baptist Church, Biloxi, Mississippi. And Argel, you were telling me me, 14 years, is that correct? 10 years. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. We we started the church in 2013 uh, to uh, reach a population that was growing up in the northern end of the county here in South Mississippi. And the Lord's been good. Uh, the church has been established, gotten off to a good start. And so we're celebrating our 10th year at work. That's great. And prior to that, you were a professor of preaching at New Orleans Seminary. Right. I, I joined the faculty in 1993 and served with them for uh, nearly 14 years and enjoyed uh, helping uh, fellows learn how to prepare and deliver sermons, and then uh, worked with them on some of the contextual issues of preaching, uh, like pastoral ministry and worship leadership, those kinds of things. So it was, it was, it was a privilege, but my heart's always been in the pastorate, and I'm glad to be uh, back at that work. Do you do any teaching kind of as a sidekick? Yeah, I, I did for a, a long time, and then when the church uh, started to grow, I had to give some of that up. Um, the last time I uh, did some um, adjunct teaching, it was with uh, Union University. Uh, they asked me to go to Singapore and teach a couple of seminars there. And that was really a, a helpful, eye-opening experience for me. So um, I've enjoyed it. But, uh, but like I said, the work at the church is a little, um, a little more demanding now. So I've tried to stay away from those kinds of things, at least for a little while. So um, Mississippi, is that your roots there? 
Yes, indeed. In fact, uh, I was born and raised not too far away from where the church is uh, located, uh, about uh, 45 minutes away from here. Um, I, I'm one of 13 kids. We were raised on a dairy farm and uh, vacation Bible school time uh, came and people came by and picked us up and brought us to Bible school. And through that, um, through that opportunity to uh, be in the context of the love of God in the person of Jesus. I came to know him personally as Savior, and then the Lord called me to preach from there, and I, and the, and the rest, as they say, is history. So I, I, I have um, I have deep roots in South Mississippi, especially along the Gulf Coast, where our church is located. Well, let's jump into our study. As uh, Chris reminded us, we're we're in a study on uh, my encounter with Jesus, and today we're going to be looking at uh, the the crucifixion, the Jesus's death on the cross made forgiveness possible for me. We're going to be in John 19 for our session today. And let me begin reading. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Then they handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. They crucified him. Those three words right there. Wow, there is just so much in those three words. They crucified him. Archel, you mentioned the economy of words and John's telling the story, uh, how uh, he didn't go into all of the detail that the other uh, gospel writers. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, it's, it seems as though that John was in the in the process of trying to interpret what was going on when Jesus was going to the cross. Of course, Matthew uh, and Mark and Luke provided rich detail to point out the uh, the difficulty that he faced spiritually, emotionally, as well as physically. But there's something about John's approach that uh, helps us to interpret what was going on e even more. For instance, when he said that um, he was uh, he, uh, he was carrying his cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull. To me, there's some in, in, there's something intentional about that that we don't want to uh, don't want to overlook. Indeed, he was crucified, but he was not crucified because he was a victim. He was not crucified because uh, his his people let him down or because of political uh, you know things that backfired. He was crucified because it was a part of his messianic mission, and he was intentional about going to the cross. It's, to me, it's remarkable that uh, John gives us that kind of intentionality in, in those brief words that he used to describe Jesus as he's making his way to, to Calvary. A lot of people, when they look at this across what happened, they want to read into it with the, the political climate, uh, the tension with the religious leaders, and look at it more from that uh, that worldly perspective. Right. And, and Jesus, uh, I don't want to use the word engineered for it to have a negative connotation. But from the time that Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane until the time that he was hanging on the cross, he was managing every detail so that he would make his way to be crucified as, and, and become the sacrifice for our sin. 
Um, John, as I said, John does a superb job. And you can tell, I, I like to use this expression, you can tell that the Holy Spirit was pushing the pen when, when he wrote about how Jesus uh, worked his way through the uh, arrest and then the trials. And then when he stood before Pilate, you, you can see how the personality of Jesus is working on Pilate. He's the guy who is influenced by the politics. Jesus is waiting for all of the details to be settled so that he can uh, make his way to the cross. What makes that cross just so important it's where our sins were paid for by the one who never sinned. Right. And, and, and to think about Jesus, um, it's a fulfillment of God's promise to provide redemption, to, to save people who turn to him. And to, to, to observe how the, his love for us, coupled with uh, the Father's love that uh, was demonstrated long before um these events began to unfold. Wow, it, it's captivating to see how this beautiful picture, this ugly picture provided such a beautiful display of the promise of God that was kept. Come to verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That portion of this passage of scripture always brings me to tears because uh, you, you look at our Savior and uh, just before he was placed on the cross or just at the moment that he was placed on the cross, he was offered some wine that was drugged so that it would help him to numb the pain that he was going to experience on the cross. He turned it down because he did not want to um, mismanage any of the details that were going to be necessary in order for him to fulfill his messianic mission. And now we come to what happens six hours later and he said he's thirsty. You know he's he's got to be parched. You know that every nerve in his body has been set on fire. And this is the time that he wants to make an announcement so that everybody could hear what he's saying. And so he asked for something to drink, to, to, in my estimation, to clear his throat so that he can speak clearly and plainly. Nobody would ever dismiss the fact that finally, in these moments on the cross, in just, uh, in just a few moments when he uh, breathes his last, God's promise to save us and the way of salvation that he provided for us would be realized. And so it's almost like he's a carpenter looking at a piece of finished carpentry there and he's beholding it because all of the work necessary for that beautiful uh, gift of salvation to be offered to us, all of what was necessary for that work to be done, it, it happened and he was announcing it is finished. And the fact that he asked for something to drink to clear his throat so they had good, strong voice so it could be heard to me, uh, it's all the more humbling to think about my Savior going to that much trouble just to make sure that we knew that he had completed everything necessary for us to be saved. Yeah, it's very insightful. And the fact that it is finished, it's done. Most people don't control their own death, but there, here you get this picture that Jesus is in control of everything that's going on. He's it's uh, not happening to him. He's, he's very much in charge that he was, he just bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. 
Right. Yeah. He the, he the he took the initiative to say those words, and he he was the one who knew that his life was coming to an end. It wasn't that he was that life was slipping away, and that he was trying to to get this in before you know his his last breath. He was managing every detail. They tell me that when someone is uh, when someone was dying on the cross, that usually um, just before he died, uh, just short gasp, painful kinds of gasp for breath, not being able to speak. But our Savior, our Savior could speak plainly and clearly under great pressure. Uh, he was in great pain, but he made sure that he uttered these words. And then when that was done, he, he knew that it's, his time had come to breathe his last remarkable just a remarkable display of of god's great salvation so he has accomplished what he came to do uh he came for this purpose to die on the cross uh for our sins uh he has he has fulfilled everything uh that the scriptures taught and 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 so uh that the significance of it is finished is is important for us as we look to um what happens next in the story yes we remember this is a study on called my encounter with jesus and as we've been looking at the crucifixion it's uh john the writer is certainly a, an eyewitness of all this we're going to go down to verse 38 though we're going to bring in another eyewitness uh who saw this and that was joseph of arimathea let me pick up a verse 38 after this joseph of arimathea who was a disciple of jesus secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus's body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus's body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. And there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden, and no one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby. So we have two individuals here who have attested to the death and burial of Jesus. And you look at them, and they're both uh, uh, men who have apparently a good deal of influence within the Jewish community. I mean, uh, we know that uh, that Joseph was um, at the at the council meeting and where Jesus was uh, was being uh, tried by the the chief priest and everything, and and we know that he uh, was a de devout follower of Jesus, although it says secretly because of the fear of the Jews. I can certainly identify with that kind of tension. Uh, on the one hand. Uh, having a heartfelt devotion to Jesus, but then on the other hand, having to, to contend with the consequences. And um, I always insist that when we take a look at Joseph, that we don't um, try to talk about what ifs, you know, what if he would have stood for Jesus before the crucifixion and all that. Because uh, like a, a counselor told me one time, all the what ifs in the world don't change what is. What is happening here is that Jesus is fulfilling his messianic mission. And Joseph uh, comes into the scene at the appropriate time in keeping with the, the story that uh, focuses on Jesus' uh, re uh, plan of redemption for us. He's a person who um, has a, a devotion to Jesus. He's also a person who has some sort of um, uh, 
political clout, I think, with uh, with the, the Roman leaders there in the city of Jerusalem because he goes to Pilate and he asks for, for Jesus' body and Pilate gives him the body. So there's something there that gives me the impression that Joseph is a person who is uh, who is who was serious, who's to be taken seriously. And uh, his reputation as a good man is is uh, brought up by the other gospel writers. But here you have him uh, at the right place determining that it's time for him to step into the role of doing what's right by Jesus. Uh, like one old preacher said, he couldn't speak up when Jesus was alive, but he was sure going to speak up now that Jesus, his Savior, had died. And and he, he takes all of what he has within him, his uh, maybe his his uh, wealth or his uh, political favor in the Roman system or the, the fact that he was a Jewish leader. He puts all that on the table when he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. It, it, John is, to me, John is very careful to point out that um, the Jewish context here is important. These people were involved in a very serious day of preparation for an important Sabbath. I think uh, the, the expression, uh, the day of preparation is um, sort of the background music for what's going on here. He, he knows that he has only a little while to do something with the body of Jesus. And, and, he, and he and Nicodemus work together. And I find the way that they work so rapidly to make sure that Jesus' body was treated with dignity and respect. I find that to be a testimony of their awareness that Jesus had died on the cross for, for sin. They had heard him utter those words and their eyes were open to everything that was happening. Maybe they couldn't put it into words, but in their heart, they knew that something had happened uh, there on the cross. And so for that reason, I mean, he died at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon and the sun set sort of at six o'clock. And these two guys uh, put Jesus uh, put Jesus' body in a, in a place so that he was treated with tremendous respect. Joseph had a personal tomb that had been carved out of the um, um, out of the plain there, out of the area. And he put Jesus in that tomb and Nicodemus somehow within just the short time frame that I mentioned earlier, somehow wound up getting 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes uh, and anointed the body of Jesus with that and then put the linen on. Like I said, in keeping with what the Jewish people at that time considered to be the way that you did uh, uh, put a body to, to rest, as it were, uh, that's characterized by dignity and respect. Um, I, I find those two fellows to be, by what they did, to be excellent uh, testimonies to uh, their understanding that what had happened on the cross was more than met the eye and that Jesus was more than just a Galilean preacher who preached well and who could heal people and who uh, could um, uh, cast out demons. He was, he, he was who he said he was, the, uh, who was the, excuse me, he was who uh, the, he was the person that the name had, that had been placarded on the, uh, on the cross. He, the, the King of the Jews, if you will. John has introduced us to Nicodemus in John 3, the famous, very, very famous passage uh, that we're familiar with, where we, we get the, the good news in, in a verse, God so loved the world. But Nicodemus is the heart of that story and his encounter with Jesus at night. Uh, later, uh, Nicodemus is mentioned in John's gospel in, in the squabble between the, uh, the religious leaders. But here... John says Joseph of Arimathea was a secret 
follower of Jesus, but he doesn't say the same thing about Nicodemus. What what is the significance of that in your mind? I think that what what John has done is that he's left us with unanswered questions about Nicodemus, and and it's and those unanswered questions are best to be left alone. Apparently, Nicodemus was a follower in in this um, episode, this crisis uh, that created the episode that we have beginning in verse uh, 38. Uh, Joseph is the leader. Nicodemus is favorable. He's uh, interested. He's devoted to the point that he's willing to go to the trouble to supply what's necessary for Jesus' uh, body to be treated with dignity. But actually, it's Joseph who steps up and, and shows that he's uh, as it were, uh, not going to be a secret follower any longer. And, and you find him expressing his devotion in that way. But I appreciate the, the, the difference in the way that uh, John provided those two profiles. And in the end, you see, in this part of the story, you see where Nicodemus is a follower and Joseph is the leader. What we're doing is in this study is we've been kind of focused on the events of the crucifixion and the burial, which is important material, but... I want you in your groups, I really encourage y'all to also look at the why behind all this, of course, and that really is, uh, we really get a full appreciation in that as we read the epistles, read the rest of the New Testament, that really helps us understand this wasn't just a man dying on a cross. This was the Son of God dying for our sins. Uh, the significance of all the why, what happened. So don't just focus on the events as important as those are. Also look at the the why behind it. Also want to encourage you to give folks a time opportunity to talk about uh, their story, uh, the significance of the cross in their lives. Um, what happens when they emotions and feelings that we have when we read this story or see a passion play? Um, uh, all of those things I think could be very helpful. But but to think of Joseph of Arimathea stepping up and being willing to give a public testimony of that he is a follower of Jesus in this instance, uh, hopefully that'll give us some opportunities to talk about uh, how we've been influenced by someone stepping up and sharing about Jesus, or it may be an opportunity for people to actually talk about uh, their journey and their encounters with Jesus um, as, a, as a way to wrap up this story and this session. And I think, too, that by focusing attention in the ways that you've mentioned, you will allow people to stay focused on Jesus as the Savior who uh, came and lived and died and rose again so that we'll never have to die. And and there's so much about Jesus, like you've said, that um, captures our attention. But what changes us is what happened that day when he died on the cross for us. And uh, I told you I gave my life to Christ when I was um, a kid. Um August 22nd, 1971 will always be the most important day of my life because that's when my pastor took me down what was called the Roman road. And uh, he showed me how uh, Jesus died for me, rose from the grave for me. He showed me that I could invite him into my life. And when I prayed, nothing's been the same because because of what Jesus did on the cross. So I appreciate uh, the, the connections that uh, you're recommending that our people make with regard to this Bible passage, because it's absolutely central to to our uh, walk with Jesus. Well, you're causing me to want to testify. Uh, just, a, just a few weeks ago, uh, my, my mother passed away and I uh, shared with uh, uh, 
uh, folks, our family members at a funeral, that uh, uh, when I was 10 in 1970, I uh, was having some questions and struggles, and uh, uh, my mom sensed that, and, and we had a conversation. She initiated a conversation, and she explained to me what John 3.16 meant, that if you believe in Jesus, you'll have this promise, this assurance of everlasting life if you'll put your trust in him, and led me uh, to pray to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So what what we hope will happen in our groups is happening in our podcast. <laughs> and I'm excited about that. I hope that that continues to be what happens this week in your groups. Thank you, gentlemen, for being a part of this conversation. Appreciate that very much. Jesus's death on the cross made forgiveness possible for me. That's our focus. But let me ask you to do something because we've looked at the death and burial of uh, Jesus during this week. The following week, we're going to be looking at the resurrection, which will be uh, Easter. And so let me encourage you to do this one thing. Invite somebody to be a part of your Bible study group. Because we, uh, of course, certainly with the death, we're going to follow that up with this great, glorious, the resurrection. This is an excellent time to bring someone who doesn't know Christ or may have some questions about it, let them let them learn about the new life that is available for them because of the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we do hope that you have a great Bible study this week, and we look forward to being with you again next week. <music>